0: You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about 100% absolute true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and joining me is Christopher Parr, Director of the Michalsen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hello. Uh, Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. Now, since this is our first episode, Chris, perhaps you'd like to tell us a bit about where it is your work and the exciting pioneering work the Institute's doing.
1: Right, as you say, I'm the director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Um, The Institute was founded to support research that uh, stretches the bounds of credibility. You see, academia can be slow to accept new ideas and new research, and they can be dismissive and even sometimes hostile towards things that don't fit into established modes of thought yeah so the institute offers a home for research and researchers that can't find a home anywhere else because their research just stretches the bounds of what people are willing to believe but it's all definitely real and not at all made up by me oh of course yeah of
0: course I mean I I, I don't know if we, why you felt the need to mention that I mean the institute for totally real research is very respected and I'm sure our our listener will believe every every word you say I'm talking to you over the internet today as we have to abide by the social distancing measures in place due to the pandemic
1: here in the UK. Has the current situation affected your work at all? In terms of field research, yes. I mean, most fields are closed now, as are, you know, meadows and plains and pastures.
0: Of course, of course.
1: Uh, So we can't go there. Um, We can do research from home, obviously. Yeah. But um, the biggest hit we've taken is in our ability to actually get our research out there. Uh, We usually rely on giving seminars at universities, schools, zoos, children's birthday parties. Mm. Uh, So that's why we've decided to do this podcast, uh, because the internet is a great way of getting our research out there. So hopefully we can get people more aware of what we're doing at the Institute.
0: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, this isn't a
1: children's party, but I feel like you know, this is a,
0: this is a great way to get the information. Well,
1: I'm wearing a party hat, so you know, it's a children's party. Oh my over god, here. so am I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that brings us round to our
1: first fact of the episode, which is Chris. Yes, well, this is the eponymous fact, if you will. Uh, chickens can't see cubes. Okay,
0: so chickens. Chickens can actually see really well, generally. Like, they've got, like, 300-degree vision. They can see more colours and shades than we do. 300-degree you know vision? 300! What happened to you, the other 60? Well, I mean, it's inside their head. Like, they've got, like, their <laughs> eyes are on the... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, like, listen, hear me out on this. <laughs> OK, I'm listening. Right, if they could three if if they could see three hundred and sixty degrees, they'd be able to see what's inside their head as well. They can see three hundred degrees because they've got like basically pop eyes that stick out the sides of their heads, and and they can see all ar- all around, apart from the bits inside, like their brain and stuff.
1: Okay, well, I'm definitely gonna take this new and fascinating information back to our researchers. Well, this is. This is why it's surprising to
0: me is because they can see so much they can see more colors than we do they can see like ultraviolet and uh, mega ultraviolet and and the the other one and it's... super mega ultraviolet thank you yes yeah um so how did you how did you figure out that that chickens
1: as you say can't as you put it see cubes and um, I did put it that way um so it's part of an ongoing research project at the institute called. What can animals see? Right, okay. So we put chickens in a room with a variety of differently shaped obstacles just to see what they can and can't see. Yeah. Uh, They were very adept at moving around cones, uh, parallelograms, spheres, uh, Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Uh, But they consistently tried to walk through cubes. Uh, So the next step was to put a chicken inside a room full of just cubes and it just it was really something to behold it was just it was bouncing off the fucking walls I'm telling you bouncing off the walls uh yeah I mean it was just careening into the cubes
0: and just flying off right so I mean they just walk right into them are the chickens surprised by this turn of events at all or are they just non uh,
1: well it's hard to tell with chickens because they always look a bit um you know surprised by things
0: that is true that is true
1: about chickens
0: yeah So uh, do you know what it is that stops them seeing cubes?
1: Well, we think it might have something to do with uh, the way their retinas are put together. Light reflects differently off certain objects. Yes. Uh, And the light reflects off cubes. Somehow it doesn't register when it is uh, refracted by their corneas and into the backs of their eyes.
0: Into the backs of the... Yeah, yeah, into the backs of their eyes, of course. You know, that makes absolute perfect sense.
1: Of course, because if they could see 300, 360 degrees, they could see the light from the cube going into their eye.
0: Yeah, of course. So this is really the chicken's fault, really.
1: Well, I mean, blaming the chicken, I mean, it does seem slightly unfair. I think the egg has some culpability as well.
0: I guess. I mean, I guess we're getting a little bit philosophical here. but um, So just to clarify, is it any flat surface or is it purely
1: cubes? It appears to be just a a three dimensional cube shaped object. We've not tried four dimensional hypercubes, although as soon as we can get one from CERN we'll be giving that a go.
0: Okay. Well obviously we'll like when that happens we'll 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 be asking you for an update on that, because that would be oh, fascinating for yes. the listener, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um so currently with your research the the, the cubes have to be mathla- mathematically absolute perfect cubes or a cubo- cuboids C- a cuboid's okay too. Would that actually dumbfound the chicken as well, or is it is it just a pure cube?
1: Interestingly, more oblong shapes seem to confuse the chicken and they'll actively avoid them more so than other shapes. They actually seem terrified of them.
0: Wow. Okay. No, this is really interesting so obviously we we haven't really sort of seen this emerging research before so this will be really interesting to um to scientists to philosophers to farmers obviously um so uh is it um is it all chickens that have this affliction or is it limited to one gender so like uh, uh, the roosters got um uh, mate that's a cube that obviously while well, the hens are just running around running into cubes constantly in the wild where there are cubes all the time
1: well i mean it's interesting you should mention the cubes in the wild we'll get back to that um We have tried both male and female chickens, and it seems to be just a problem with the species itself, rather than a gendered issue, if you will.
0: Okay, okay, so it's it's a chicken thing. This is about chickens. Chickens can't see cubes. So are there any animals that can't see certain geometric shapes, or is this limited to chickens? are Are there lizards out there that have a blind spot for dodecahedrons, or...?
1: Well, we've only tested chickens so far. Um, purchasing the variety of obstacles seems to have uh, taxed our budget somewhat. So, as soon as we can secure more research, we'll definitely move on to the more animals.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, obviously, we're really grateful that this research happened. It, it's, it, as I say, it's emerging research, and this is very exciting. Um, you know, I don't want to um, to sideline you and, and 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 get you starting to think about dodecahedrons and lizards and things because that's you know that's. I'm not,
1: always thinking about dodecahedrons.
0: As am I. I, I think I think they are um, important to all of us. I think, in a way,
1: aren't we all dodecahedrons? Well, I am. Are you? <laughs> Uh, Not currently, no, but I do plan to be in the future.
0: Okay, well, um, best of luck. So what does this mean for the day-to-day life of a chicken?
1: Well, see, chickens don't seem to encounter cubes very often in the wild. Um, We think this might be why eggs are shaped as they are, because were a chicken to lay a cube-shaped egg, it wouldn't see the egg. And, you know, if it can't see the egg, it can't... Incubate the egg.
0: Yeah, no, of course, of course. So, yeah, it makes evolutionary sense. So, yeah, because otherwise, apart from anything else, they'd be like, why is my nest so uncomfortable? And then they look in the nest and well, there's nothing. Yeah, not-
1: I mean, the chicken would think to itself, I've just felt something pass out of me, but I can't see it. I swear I just laid an egg, but I've lost the fucker.
0: Yeah, and also, I feel like square eggs wouldn't be as fun to lay.
1: No, that could be another issue, yes.
0: So, do you have any theories as to why they've evolved to not see cubes?
1: I mean, making any kind of retrospective uh, hypothesis on evolution is always tricky. The thing that seems strange is that evolution itself hasn't capitalised on this. I mean, we don't see cube-shaped predators, and that seems like it would be a niche that, you know, natural selection would be eager to exploit. Cube-shaped foxes wandering into hencoops, invisible to their prey.
0: Yeah, yeah, so that would make sense. But, I mean, the stock cube is pretty much the... It represents their apex predator race, I suppose. I suppose. And maybe they've evolved to not... I've so not really
1: much- seen any stock cubes wandering into hen keeps and devouring chickens, though. Well, I mean...
0: Have you? No, absolutely. But no, 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 you won't catch me out there. <laughs> but... Hear me out here, I feel like psychologically, you know, like this is a psychological evolutionary step, essentially. I'm just spitballing here because I'm completely unqualified to say any of this. But maybe they've evolved to Nazi cubes so they don't know about stock cubes. They'd die of fear if they knew what was to come, you know?
1: But didn't chickens evolve before stock cubes?
0: No, I'm pretty sure that they evolved with stock cubes because stock cubes are made of chickens.
1: Oh, Okay. I see. It was an evolutionary arms race. Yeah. So perhaps stock cubes were spherical at first and the chickens were well aware of them and so avoided any situation in which a stock cube might be present. Yeah. And then stock cubes were like, hold on a sec. Something's going on here. We better change tack. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like stock cubes became square because obviously uh, chickens um, saw through the uh, the whole stock thing. And then they evolved accordingly not to know about them because actually it would be really scary for a chicken to understand what a stock cube is. Because, uh, well, if if your end of life was to become a stock cube, then what would you consider your life to be? Would you consider your life to be important? The answer would be no, obviously, because, you know, if, if I, I evolved to be a podcast presenter, great. But if I evolved to be a stock cube, I'd just give up.
1: Wait. So now you're suggesting chickens evolve into stock cubes?
0: Well, not evolve, but like that's kind of the end game with a lot of chickens. Not all of them. Some of them become like roast, but like you know, they get. <laughs>
1: but they don't become stock they cubes, get... though. No, they stock They're... cubes are used in the preparation of you know dead chickens for consumption. Wait. So
0: I thought chicken stock was like made of bits of chicken.
1: Right. Yes, I see what
0: you mean. I mean, I mean, you're you're the, you're the expert, obviously. You know, you know.
1: Yes, but um, I'm vegan, so I haven't eaten chicken for a long time. So I'm completely off my game on uh, the details of chicken preparation. Right.
0: Okay. So where where I'm coming from here is that the, the the idea that if you were a chicken and you were aware of the existence of stock cubes, which which basically is a terrifying concept for a chicken because it would mean that that you would get powdered into dust and then used to season other dead chickens
1: and um, it would be like that scene in uh superman 3 where he fights himself and then ends up in the uh, trash compactor
0: exactly that is a perfect comparison yeah absolutely absolutely so my theory is completely unfounded of anything because i i i have no idea what i'm talking about my theory is that they uh, evolved to not see cubes because they If they knew of the existence of their apex predator, the stock cube, as we've previously discussed, then they would cease to have any quality of life. They would cease to want to just continue to exist. So they'd probably get eaten by foxes, cube-shaped or not.
1: Right. So, yeah, suppose if chickens were aware of stock cubes, they would literally throw themselves at the feet of the cube-shaped foxes.
0: There you go. Exactly. That's what we're talking about.
1: Well, I will certainly bring these... Um, hypotheses back to our researchers at the Institute.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Because, I mean, this is, you know, I, I, I represent the listener. I represent the general public. And really, you know, these are the questions we've got to ask. Yes. The
1: biting questions. The, the pecking questions.
0: So after doing this research,
1: do you feel like you
0: have a newfound respect for the chicken?
1: Um, I kind of... I think I respect them less Less? I feel like if you can't see a cube then you're not really worthy of my respect
0: Fair enough I mean I don't think any of our listeners are chickens so you can don't feel the need to censor yourself (laughs) Okay Um, Let's move on so um, fact number two what have you got to share with us?
1: Yes, okay. So, Donald Trump, uh, the current president of America... Yes. uh, ...once tried to market an aftershave based on his own farts. Right. Yes, so the uh, Trump organization has a long history of uh, merchandising the Trump name. Of course. And in 2006, they released a fragrance called Trump by Trump, uh, an aftershave whose fragrance... Was based on one of Trump's, well, Trump's. So apparently, um, a perfumer, I believe they called, um, accompanied Trump over the course of a normal day and uh, made notes whenever he uh, let one off on, you know, fragrance, viscosity, nasal intensity. That does not sound like
0: particularly like a job I w- I would choose. But that that, I mean, I'm sure it was rewarding. <laughs>
1: Um, I imagine he was paid well.
0: I'd hope so. Um, Well, now we all know Donald Trump's made bad decisions in the past. Trump University, Trump Water, Trump Cards. Uh, But
1: why is it we've never heard about Trump's Trump? Well, the rationale behind uh, the aftershave is uh, supposedly Trump, in his capacity as a businessman, uses flatulence to um, assert dominance in the boardroom. And dare I say the bedroom... You may dare. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, And so the aftershave was uh, supposed to be marketed towards uh, professionals, uh, to other businessmen, you know, um, go getters, uh, sharks, like that kind of thing.
0: Okay, so yeah, yeah, well, so yeah, so that would be the way it was marketed. But like in the same way as Link's aftershave is, is supposedly marketed towards big, muscly men, actually, it's marketed towards. Nerd, nerdy guys. Yes, they're like I, I. I assume from what you're saying, it's a way for any lowly businessman to reach the lofty heights of Trump Towers, fueled by his essence.
1: Yeah, I mean the idea would have been that um, you smell like a prominent businessman's uh, flatulence, so yeah. you'll do as well as that prominent businessman and his flatulence. So how was uh, how was uh, how was how was Trump by Trump advertised? And well, it came with a slogan. Which was Trumps, Trumps, Trump other Trumps.
0: That's beautiful. Um, Do we know of anyone who actually bought it? I hate to say, but I'm kind of curious as to what it smells like.
1: Um, I think Ivanka bought some.
0: That does make sense.
1: Although for what purpose, I can't say.
0: No, I wouldn't want to know. Um, Chris, I hesitate to ask, but have you tried it?
1: Well, it was discontinued and we didn't catch on, obviously. And it is now something of a collector's item. Oh, okay. We were able to source an empty bottle of the stuff. There is the faintest whiff of what we can only assume was Trump's rather potent Trump. But I can only assume that it really doesn't do the original product any justice.
0: Fair enough. Uh, how, I mean, I understand that it's, it's just the, the last vestiges of the Trump But would you hazard some articulations as to how you might describe Trump's Trump?
1: The word that immediately comes to mind is meaty. Meaty. Yeah. You know, when you eat a lot of red meat, and I mean a lot of red meat. I do. Do you? (laughs) Well, um, as I said, I'm vegan, but, um, you know, in my uh, student days, I was an aficionado of The red meat.
0: Yes, I'm sure you weren't born born vegan. I don't think anyone is. Fair enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and... um, Yes, so the fragrance is very much like somebody who almost exclusively eats rare steaks and probably mashed potatoes. Rare steaks? Yeah, that's rare as in, like, barely cooked, not rare as in unavailable. You can't find... Yeah, yeah. I... You can't see what you can't find. That's true. That is true. Um, well,
0: I did uh, I did find some other examples of celebrity perfumes that didn't catch on, actually. Okay. There was a brief time in the 90s where uh, Old Spice capitalised on the Spice Girls hysteria um, by marketing fragrances for each of the Spice Girls. It was unfortunately recalled because Scary Spice was less of a fragrance and more just a bottle that screamed at you until you put it down. Um, Well, that was actually a very similar product, in fact, to the inexplicably popular Odour Screaming in Your Fucking Face for Three Hours Straight by Nicolas Cage. Um, There was also Sweet Release by Alan Carr, uh, Led Zeppelin by Led Zeppelin, that absolutely did not take off, Um, that one by Miley Cyrus that's now used exclusively by the US Army for chemical warfare, and, of course, the now infamous How Bad Can It Be by Jim Davidson, which... Many believe to be the spark of that caused the Christmas day riots in 1996 so these celebrity perfumes have have uh, come and gone and, and, and actually some of them have, have been uh, very popular, but some of them have been
1: absolute flops. Would you ever release a perfume do you think chris uh you mean personally of my own fragrance
0: yes of your of your scent.
1: I'm not sure anybody wants the scent of somebody who exclusively eats chickpeas. I've tried chickpeas. I mean, they're fine. Yeah, but have you eaten chickpeas three meals a day every day for 15 years?
0: It's a challenging question.
1: I mean, surely you know yes or no?
0: I mean, the answer is no, but I feel like I've maybe missed out. (laughs) Have I missed out, Chris? Yes and no. Enigmatic.
1: The chickpeas are indeed Um, a mystery.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, chickpeas are round, not cube-shaped.
1: That is interesting. So, uh, fact number three, Chris. Yes, um, so the ancient Chinese briefly used dogs as currency okay so let's
0: break this down a bit <laughs> so so like humans have in the past like they've been known to use some really weird things in place of currency usually and as a sort of like trend when bartering goods for services you know um, we've had fish salt bottle caps cocaine even metaphysical concepts such as ennui um, being used instead of coins or notes but dogs how did how did this happen
1: uh, so it was during the reign of uh, the Emperor Fei, who uh, ruled in a 552 to a 554. During that period, the dog population in China had plummeted to such a, an extent that they became a rare commodity. Right. And so uh, they became valuable as a unit of currency.
0: Oh, OK. Uh, so... Let's get into the details, because I'm sure that's what the listener at home is frothing at the mouth for.
1: Um, what is a dog worth? Like frothing like a rabid dog. Yes. A rabid dog hungry for facts. Hungry for facts.
0: That could be our mascot, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. A rabid <laughs> dog. I feel like, actually, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> what's, a, what's a dog worth, Christopher Parr?
1: Well, um... So, um, an individual dog's value was calculated largely on breed. Uh, Sharp A's were the most valuable. And pugs, it turns out, were the least valuable. Whoa. Uh, There was also taken into account. Wait, no, 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 no. Okay.
0: Let's stop there.
1: All right, I'm stopped.
0: Pugs. Pugs. Fucking hell. Pugs were the least valuable? Yeah. Have you met a pug? I have met several Pugs Right, well, I feel like you are qualified enough to know Pugs are the cutest dog that has ever existed
1: Right, but there's no point complaining to me, is there, Piper? You should be complaining to the Emperor Faye. You should be going back in time, 1500 years and complaining to Emperor Faye.
0: I feel like that's um, that's a lot of pressure Um, I mean...
1: I'll wait I mean, if you return to this exact moment I won't have to wait, will I?
0: That's true. I think that's a proof that time travel doesn't exist, at least not for me, because I haven't done it yet. (laughs) I guess that would be the
1: the most pressing issue if time travel were invented. (laughs) Interrogating (laughs) an ancient Chinese emperor on his dislike of pogs.
0: I suppose, on reflection, actually, it's just proof that I don't know time travel exists and know how to utilize the technology, because otherwise I would have just done that and I'd be here telling you about why. Emperor Faye had decided that pugs are the least valuable, the little shit.
1: Unless what you found out was so terrifying that you had to just keep it to yourself and pretend nothing had happened.
0: Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just <laughs> I'm just riffing now as 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 a cover up for my the horrible things that I've discovered. So
1: moving on. Um <laughs> Yeah, so um yeah. So breed was a factor. Um, there were other secondary factors in a, a, a dog's value as currency, uh, like size, weight, uh, softness, because we are like a soft little dog, don't we?
0: Yeah, I, I do.
1: Obedience was important. I mean, which seems right. a little odd because you wouldn't be hanging on to the dog very long because you would be, you know, spending it again somewhere, presumably. But I guess it was, you know...
0: Yeah, but I suppose it's something it, doesn't, you look for. it doesn't cease the idea that a dog is also quite a cute thing to have around. Like, you know, yeah, you you know, if, you, if, if you've if you managed to get hold of a dog as currency, it doesn't stop you still being a human being interacting with a dog. You're still like, that's a dog in my house and I like that. That's fine. You know, you don't immediately go, right, well, that is money. Like, yeah. yes, it's money, but it's still a, still a dog, Chris.
1: Which actually brings us to um, the final factor, which was... Um, something that roughly translates as face squishiness and which we think is like just a general measure of the dog's cuteness.
0: Right, okay. And and this is um, compounding my point about pugs, but we'll leave that. So how much would, say, a pure breed Staffordshire Bull Terrier be worth in today's
1: money? Well, the issue there, Piper, is that... Uh, a purebred Staffordshire Bull Terrier did not exist in ancient China.
0: And a, a pug did.
1: The pugs are a very well-established, um, long-running, if you will, uh, Chinese breed. Yes.
0: I I see. I see. Well, I mean, again, again, I am just the the lay presenter, um, <laughs> speaking as the voice of the public, trying to work out. What the fuck you're talking about? So I appreciate your candor. So because because the dogs are sentient beings, this is this not like a form of slavery, essentially?
1: Um, I mean, yes, you could think of it that way. Um, I suppose in um, um, in phased defense, um, during this period, all dogs were considered the property of the emperor, and anybody caught mistreating a dog. Uh, was often actually sentenced to death.
0: Oh. Oh, okay, that's all right then. I mean, honestly, I feel like I'd take care of my money a bit better if it was literally a dog.
1: Yes. You certainly wouldn't want to um, end up leaving one in the back pockets of your jeans when you put it in the washing, would you? No. On a similar note, um, imagine digging around in the back of your sofa and finding a Sharpe. Do you know what? This
0: seems like a really cool idea now. Like, now I'm actually thinking about it, I feel like it would be really fun. Let's just, uh, can we, is there any, I know you're not really into social movements, you're into, you know, historical facts, but like, um, I don't know, do you want to get together and maybe talk people into having dogs as instead of like a five pound note?
1: Um, I think my issue is I would never actually spend my money. I just hoard all the dogs. Well, this
0: is what we were saying before. Is like, actually, like, you know, we are human beings and actually, <laughs> like, dogs are still amazingly cute. Exactly, exactly.
1: So, um, did the public embrace the new canine currency? Uh, well, I mean, on the one hand, they were forced to, obviously. I mean, if the emperor says, this is money now, and you don't have it, then you can't buy anything.
0: Right. Okay, so th- was it the only currency then?
1: Uh, as far as we can tell, yes. I mean, um, as I said, this was a 552 to 554 just just um, like slightly less than a two-year period um, that dogs mm. were used. So, I mean, it's unsure exactly like how the transition went from the previous currency and then how it would have gone into uh, the subsequent currency. But that doesn't seem to be in the historical record. Okay, okay. So, um, like, who knows what happened to all the old money people had? You know, it's like uh, when you've got an old uh, pound coin and you wander into a shop and they say, we can't accept that and you're in with you know a cat or something and you say no we don't accept those anymore just dogs
0: yeah yeah i can understand that i can understand that so you so like uh, actually that 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 brings me on to my next question so did, were they did people ever manage to exploit this in any way um because essentially it's like a new technology or it's like a a, a new thing that's like um a emerging idea um did anyone try to um i suppose i'm talking about counterfeit dogs <laughs>
1: A counterfeit canines. Sorry, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, there was a rash of fake dogs at this uh, period. A rash? Um, yeah, a rash, like, you know... Um, I'm sure you've heard the term rash used in that context. Yes. Yes, I have. Right, okay, good. Moving on then. So, like right, some unscrupulous people uh, try to pass off cats, uh, raccoons. Uh, there's um, right, There's one instance in uh, the historical record of somebody trying to pass off a child in a dog costume as currency.
0: How did they do that? Um, Using what materials and what kind of strange techniques? That sounds very strange.
1: Well, you're expecting a lot out of uh, 1,500-year-old historical records. I mean, it's not Wikipedia.
0: No, but I'm very excited.
1: Well, presumably they used... um, uh, locally sourced fabrics uh, fashioned into some kind of canine apparel.
0: Canine apparel.
1: Uh, perhaps they ask the child to bark. Chris. Yeah. Do you have a dog? Uh,
0: not currently, no. Well, if you did have a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: if you did have a dog, would do you think you'd ever try to use it as currency? Uh, depends what was being sold. If, for example, somebody was selling two dogs, then I would certainly trade my one dog for their two dogs.
0: Well, that sounds an awful lot like you would be fleecing that person, essentially.
1: (laughs) And perhaps use uh, the canine equivalent of the old string around the coin thing they use in vending machines to somehow procure my original dog back again. So now I've got three dogs...
0: Yeah, so you basically tie a rope around a dog and try not to lynch it and pull it away, uh, yank yeah, it back sure. as the
1: uh, the um, the uh, the dog vendor is moving on to his next customer.
0: I mean, I I feel like I wouldn't do it personally. Um, this this whole sort of line between currency and pet, um, you know, you know, we are still human beings. The Chinese at that time still had emotional connection with animals. You know, it's it's. I guess it's a fine line to run. I know. I know you said that it was the law, um, but like, I feel like I have trouble doing it personally. I mean, a lesson was uh, a chihuahua, obviously.
1: Once again, um, uh, chihuahuas do not exist in ancient China.
0: Right. Well, but yes. But I mean, in this the- theoretical um, landscape that I'm developing, for some reason,
1: like this multicultural utopian in which dogs of all nations <laughs> come together to act as money.
0: let's let's move on to our our final fact of of this um increasingly weird fucking show so yes what's what is your what is your fourth fact
1: okay this is actually something of a controversial fact
0: uh controversial yes am i gonna have to use my swear button
1: is that the button you press to go fuck me yes okay you may have to use the fuck me button OK, <laughs> which just sounds like a clitoris.
0: I've, I've, I've never really used that before with you, but we'll see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, so um, you might be aware some time ago, the oldest joke in the world was discovered um, um, in what was uh, Sumer, right, which is now uh, southern Iraq. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it dated from around 1900 uh, BCE. And I believe it's uh, translated as something along the lines of uh, something which has never occurred since time immemorial: a young woman did not fart in her husband's lap. Right. Okay. But recently, in the same region of what was once Sumer, an older joke has been found, predating uh, the previous joke by about two hundred years. So, from around twenty-one hundred BCE. Wait. Wait. I want to know what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, arguably, it's no better than the uh, like the, the newer joke. Um, it reads, what's the difference between a duck? Go on. One of its feet are both the same.
0: Hello? I don't get it. I... I- well, are you sure you've got are you sure you've got that right
1: Well, there's been some controversy around the translation because I mean, um, as you've intimated there, it doesn't appear to actually make any sense. Some scholars are insisting that the inscription mightn't actually be complete because most you know what's the difference jokes have two things because if there's only one thing then there's no difference.
0: Yeah, but like, you know, there's a start to like the what's the difference joke. I mean, surely like this is this is like a fairly contemporary ideology like this. What's the difference between you know, like that's that's like a pattern that we all know in in modern times that can't have been that long ago that that started.
1: Right. Yeah. But I mean, like like difference is a basic concept.
0: Okay. yeah, I suppose that is true. That is a word that probably has existed a little while.
1: Yeah. I mean you can't have a thing that is different from itself.
0: Yes. Well, I think maybe you've hit hit on the on the on the on the humor of the joke there.
1: Well, I mean perhaps uh, the other issue of course is um some scholars have questioned the shall we say grammatically bizarre punchline. One of its feet are both the same. But it doesn't quite scan, does it? Well, no, it doesn't scan at
0: all, uh, because essentially, it doesn't make any fucking sense.
1: I mean, it's the same issue with um, the setup. You can't have one feet being both the same, because there's only one. That's true.
0: I'm glad we're getting into the nitty gritty of this, because actually, this is uh, bothering me.
1: (laughs) Well, it's bothering a lot of people in the ancient joke community. The ancient joke community? Oh, yeah, there's loads of them. They're really weird. Is there a hashtag? (laughs) Um, Hashtag uh, ancient jokes rule okay.
0: Okay, well, good for them for maintaining a 1980s trope with their hashtag. That's good. I mean, it's on brand, isn't it? To be honest, it does make sense. I feel like there wouldn't be a lot of fun at parties.
1: No, well, I mean, whoever penned this joke might not have been much fun either. Um, It's possible that um, the inscription is entirely accurate. And there was just some smug asshole wandering around ancient somewhere, going to parties, telling this joke, and then laughing his stupid head off whenever like nobody else got it.
0: That's fair. I mean, it's fascinating, really. It's actually really easy to read like historical accounts without humor, as if our ancestors like weren't weren't as weren't as human as we are, or as funny as we are today. But like, you, I mean, if you look at like historical accounts fairly recently in the scheme of things like Samuel Peep's Diary or the graffiti in Pompeii. I mean, you realise that there were always funny people out there. I mean, in fact, one could argue that it's us that are running out of things to make jokes out of. But, like, with this, it's interesting because, like, I do feel like I'm missing something. I mean, did you laugh? Did you laugh? Did
1: you find it funny? I chuckled momentarily the first time I read it. The problem is there's this one guy in the office who just keeps telling it, and I've heard it so many times now that it's... I mean, the words have practically lost all meaning now.
0: So is this is this is the sort of person that says garlic bread a lot?
1: Yes. I mean, this may even be... I mean, perhaps he's the direct descendant of whichever smug dick wrote this joke in the first place.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that would make a lot of sense. Maybe this is... This whole whole thing is a conspiracy just to piss you off.
1: You mean me personally? Yeah, you. You mean somebody in ancient Sumer thought there's going to be this guy in about 4,000 years Yeah. who's going to find this joke kind of amusing at first. Mm, there you go, you see. Now you're understanding. But, but what we're going to do, right, guys, is well, I'm going to have a kid, and they'll have a kid, and they'll have a kid, and then loads of kids later... Right, that kid will say the joke so many times that this guy called Chris is going to want to punch him in his stupid face whenever he walks into the office.
0: Well, I see. It's obviously clearly made you quite angry, and I feel like that's making my point. So you've said this before. You've you've talked about this joke. You've You've, you've pointed out in press briefings before there are other contenders in early writings for the oldest joke, but due to translation errors... And, you know, things that are lost in translation. We're not we're not actually sure if they were intended to be jokes at all, such as um, the now infamous inscription on the back of the 12,000-year-old Turkish pictograph, which reads, Dear Mother, where might I find my sandals? To which the response, as we all now know, is Bing Bong Waterfall. Now, <laughs> it's possible that just because we don't find that funny as a joke, Is it still a joke? Many of your critics have argued that in dismissing it as not a joke, it's you that lacks the humour to understand it. What would you say to them, Chris?
1: Well, I think it goes back to a point you made earlier about um, humour changing. I mean, Mm. it's perfectly possible uh, like somebody from 4,000 years ago might watch, say, The Big Bang Theory and think this is a load of total bullshit, as do most people today. So, yes, I mean, um, as you said as well, things can get lost in translation. Um, It's not always possible to know when something is meant to be funny. It's also possible for things to be funny when they're not supposed to be funny.
0: That's true. So essentially what you're saying is humour is so utterly subjective that it's possible that either none or all of these things, from 12,000 years ago to Sumerian jokes that you've found to Stuart Lee and Jim Davidson nowadays. It's possible that all or none of them were supposed to be funny in the first place. Is that what
1: you're saying? Um, Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that's the second time you've mentioned Jim Davidson, which is a bit weird. Can we not? (laughs) (laughs) I felt the first time it was fine because you were, you know, basically making fun of him, but I feel offended you mentioned him in the same breath as Stuart Lee.
0: Yeah, I felt bad
1: about that. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but um yes, I mean, it's entirely possible that either everything is a joke or nothing is a joke, and only time will tell. Who knows? Maybe this is a joke. Maybe this podcast is a joke.
0: I feel like you're getting a little bit mental <laughs> right now. But uh, twelve thousand years is a long time, Chris. Do you, do you not think if we if we knew? If we were at any point in time gonna know whether or not that was a joke, or whether or not what you said which I've forgotten now, it was a joke. <laughs> or, you know, if if anything that we say now all of the things we discuss here could be academic, they could be trying to trying to trying to make people laugh. I mean, we don't know. I don't know. Do you know?
1: I mean you're calling into question the very nature of knowledge here think uh, this is uh, somewhere beyond the remit of um, an anecdote about a really old joke we found
0: wow i think the most important thing here is to wrap up
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes i think before we all have an existential crisis
0: okay that's it you've been listening to chickens can't see cubes with me piper doors i can be found on twitter at piper talks and christopher parr it can be found on
1: i can be found on twitter at trilby norton that's trilby as in the hat and norton as in the actor ed norton just imagine ed norton wearing a hat and you'll get my twitter handle
0: Chris is from the Munchausen Institute uh, where can the Munchausen Institute be found on Twitter or the internet in general at large
1: well um, our IT guy Kyle has been trying to set up a Twitter account um, he's got through the terms and conditions and he assures me he'll have the account up and running within the next few weeks
0: beautiful okay well if you want to find out where the Munchausen Institute is you can't just yet but we have it from the horse's mouth. The director of the Munchausen Institute, Christopher Parr, has told us he doesn't know. It does really exist, honest.
1: <laughs> I'm not making it up. I
0: I mean, I, I believe
1: you. Um, In but... fact, our motto is you probably could make it up, but we're not honest.
0: That's good. I mean, it doesn't sound the least bit suspicious. Thank you. It's a, good, it's a good motto. If you did it in Latin, it would sound even better. It would, but we don't have the budget to research Latin. OK, well, I forgive you. Um, thanks very much. Uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Is that done then? That was fine. <laughs> that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. And it was brilliant.